This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This week on Into the Archives, a, a former teammate of mine, they called him Eric the Red. He was a part of that that World Series team in 1990. He's a Reds Hall of Famer, one of the great ones, Eric Davis. Sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic. Join us as we go into the archives. Hey, we going back. And put our ear to the history books with this one. This is Into the Archives. Here's your host, Brett Booms. Ladies and gentlemen, Eric Davis. Boogie, what's going on? Oni, 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 what's happening, man? I'm glad to be a part of this. Thanks for inviting me. How you doing, man? I'm doing good. And, and uh, all right, right off the top, I want to get it out of the way. All of us have uh, people out there listening to the Boone podcast. You saw how Eric said, Booney, Oni. That's his nickname for me. A lot of times I was out there, you know, most people call me Booney, the Boone, whatever. But nicknames are kind of a big deal, in, in, especially in our world, the world of baseball. And the the gentleman on the show today has got two pretty cool ones, Boogie and Eric the Red. Eric, I want to know where those two originated from. Where did they where how'd you get how'd you get that put on you? Well, first one, the one came from Chris Berman, which was huge because, you know, the early 80s when he first started ESPN and started doing the highlights, he had nicknames for everybody and they kind of became his trademark. And so to to get a nickname from Chris Berman on the positive side, you know, that means that you was stepping up your game and you was part of that upper echelon or something because if he just said your regular name, you just hadn't gotten there yet. So I, he told me when I actually talked to him that he didn't know too much that was going to rhyme with me outside of Eric the Red. And, and it was also the epitome for me because of so many great players that wore that uniform for me to be saddled with that was like an honor. Uh, Boogie was just a part of my, my fun, lively attitude and, and uh, liking music and liking the dance. And when we used to go out, I was, I used to break dance and do a lot of different things and stuff. So just Boogie just kind of stuck and guys just stuck with it. So I've, I've kind of adopted it. So both of them was on a positive tip. So it was good. Yeah. Being Eric to red, that is to this day. I mean, that's a pretty, pretty, uh, you know, high profile franchise, the Cincinnati Reds. And, and you can always walk around and say, yeah, I'm Eric the red. So that's, that's, that's <laughs> I'm Eric the red baby. That's pretty cool. It's not the same when you call you 
call it yourself. It's like you giving yourself a nickname. I mean, if you give yourself a nickname, I mean, you was really trying hard. Nobody didn't know you if you had to give yourself a nickname. No, no, that's no fun. <laughs> that's no fun. All right, so you're born and raised in L.A., grew up playing hoops with Byron Scott, and, you know, it's kind of well-documented. Your buddy was uh, Daryl Strawberry. Tell me about Eric Davis's childhood. I had a, a, a good childhood uh, in the 60s. Uh, growing up in the 60s and the 70s in Los Angeles was uh, different. My, my parents were from Mississippi, so growing up in the South was different from them for us. And that was one of their dreams was to move from the South and all the racial hurt, hatred and things that was going on down there to California where, where you can kind of be out there and things were just what they were and 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 the racism wasn't as documented on the coast uh in the 60s marijuana was the thing and it calms you down and you had the uh the kind of stoners and and all of that stuff out there with the palm trees and so we did what we did we didn't have a lot but we had what we needed um gangs and drugs uh that was there and 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 sports was a safe haven uh, in the 70s and the 80s, sports guys who played sports in the predominantly black neighborhoods was respected. And it was kind of like you was off limits to certain things, uh, cultural wise and stuff. Uh, and, and so it, it kind of enabled you to get a pass and move your direction because you wanted to be something. So doing that and playing along with, 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 uh, Chris Brown, who was also on our county Mac team. And, and Goodell Strawberry, off our kind of Mac team, we had 19 guys that get drafted. So, you know, the Southern California was a haven for baseball players and stuff. So growing up with that and playing basketball, uh, sports was a way of life. And, and, and it helped to me make an easy decision. And, and I'm glad I did. Boogie, so I'm going through, you know, because, you know, you, we know each other as players, but now – I do research, even on my buddies that I played with. And I was going over your your high school stats, and I got a young son that just went off to his first spring training. I took him to the airport this morning. And I was rolling off some – I said, you know who Eric Davis is? Yeah, Dad. I said, okay. You know, we were teammates in 96 in Cincinnati, and I said, I'm going over his high school stats right now. I said – he played 15 games his senior year in high school. That was a high school league. I said, guess how many bags he stole? He kind of threw out a number. I said, he stole 50. You realize that's three and a third bags per game. That means he's stealing second and third twice per game. And yeah. then I look, and, and you're averaging 29 points and 10 assists on the basketball court. And I know that you wanted to play in the NBA as a young man. What changed? Well, that was my dream when I got to be older. I wasn't a kid that dreamt when he was five with the ball in the bed, all that kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, some people had that childhood that wasn't mine. But Walt Frazier was my idol um, with the New York Knicks because of his pizzazz, his style. Uh, uh, his nickname was Clyde. He was smooth. Uh, he dressed really well. Uh Baseball, you didn't see him uh, because it wasn't televised a lot. And the only black players there in L.A. then were the Dodgers. 
and and they were cool, but they wasn't that cool. You know what I mean? <laughs> Clyde had to had the big afro with the the Barcelinos and the monks, the long fur coats. He was driving a Bentley, at, uh, Rolls Royces before that, and, and and so that was 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 the excitement, and that's what I gravitated to. Um, and and basketball, I, I was playing basketball. We were doing our thing, and the and the college scholarships and all those things was there. But baseball preceded that season, so now I was able to generate a lot more momentum from the baseball side. That, and I tell people to, to all of this all the time, only that had I graduated high school after basketball season, I would have went to college just because I was in that frame of mind. And, and so once I graduated the draft and I graduated, it was right there for me. And, and I said, well, you know, I can always, I always got four years of eligibility so if this doesn't work out, then I can always go back and play college basketball. But I kind of would have not forgave myself if I didn't give it that opportunity then because I was at the height of my game at that time. I was playing well. The, the, all the excitement and everything was going on, the draft and all those things and stuff. So I made the decision. But it could have easily been basketball had I graduated after uh, basketball season or it would have been the last sport for me to play for that year. Yeah. And recently on the podcast, we had Richie Sexton and uh, he, he was, he came from a similar mind frame as you is, is he wanted to be a hoopster and he ended up signing baseball. As he said, he went out that first, that first year and had a really tough time baseball wise, but he knew he could go home. Uh, he registered it at the JC to, to chase that hoop dream. And, and he said something clicked. He got invited to instructional ball and he, he continued on with his baseball career and, you know, the rest is history for him, but it's interesting, uh, you know, cause a guy like me, I didn't have the two options, you know, I was a baseball player and that's what I was doing. So, uh, it, it's, it's interesting to me to hear that side of it. So in 1980, it was crazy though, but let me just explain this to you. It was you crazy because basketball the excitement of basketball it's it's like no other and and the fans are right there and when you're doing your thing and 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 the girls is there and the cheerleaders ain't no cheerleaders for baseball nobody go to baseball games in high school if there is it's your brother or your parent or somebody you know showing your support right. so you just didn't get the the, the the glamour and all the things behind high school sports and for me, high school sports, high school sports was it. If you didn't have fun in high school, you, I don't know what, what what school you went to, or you must didn't have no friends. But that would all the games were sold out because we had a top team in the city. And and the, if you didn't get there for the junior varsity game, you didn't get there to watch the varsity games. And I played varsity for three years. But just the excitement and the and the and the atmosphere behind that and dunking on somebody in the crowd, going and all that stuff. That's what really pushed me to to want to continue to play. But when baseball gave me that opportunity and then I was able to display some of my basketball skills on the baseball side of it, that's what really took me to the next level. You think basketball helped you in your in uh, your baseball career? Absolutely. Uh, I got recruited to high school to play football. I didn't even know I played basketball and baseball. So each sport that I played gave me something that the other sport didn't have. I mean, I got my physical toughness from playing football. I played 
wide receiver, cornerback, and ran back punt. So I didn't mind taking punishment. That's why I had a high pain tolerance. When I got hurt, I played. Uh, but then the quickness of my back came from me being a point guard and dribbling and having strong hands and wrists. Uh, stealing bases and my agility came from playing defense and being able to run the court and slide my feet uh, from a defensive position. So that you don't have to be great at it, but I suggest every, every young kid that has a sports uh, admiration to play something else, do something different that will give you something that the sport doesn't have because it definitely helped me. Yeah. And I, and I, uh, you know, I tell kids that nowadays, I said, play them all, you know, you're only a kid once. And I think it does help you in the other sports. I think if for, for anything, I, you see kids, especially today, 2021, I mean, these kids are coming out at 12 and 13 and they're just specializing and it's just baseball, baseball. And we've got, you know, we got swing coaches and we've got this and that. And these right. kids never really, you know, in, in my opinion, they don't have time to take a breath and just enjoy being a kid. It's nice when, oh man, finally, I was getting kind of burnt out on baseball. It's football season. You know, you get your mind off. And like you said, it's a different skill set. But but it, I think sports, especially the big three sports, they transcend one another. One always you can always find something in one that translates to right. the other and makes you a better right. player. I, I think that's a great point that you bring up. It, and I'd like to see our youth get back to that. You know, play them all. Figure out what you love the most. But in the end, each one's going to help you be better at the other, if that makes sense. But it's crazy because what I see now is is the driver of the children's train are the parents now. And and knowing you come from a family of of great players, and my question to you was, were you driven to play or did Bob allow you to do your thing and figure out what you wanted to do? Because that's important because I know you guys had a love for the game and that love, that can be – hand it down, but it still has to burn from self. You know what I mean? But and 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 having gone through that history wise, how did that translate with you guys? And did your parents allow you to 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 find what you wanted to do or was you just like, I'm gonna do this because my dad? Well I'll tell you, it was uh you know, and, and, and obviously my, my family is a, a little bit different because there were so many baseball players and, and, a mm-hmm. big influ- and a big influence on me, especially early in my childhood, was my grandpa, Grandpa Ray. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. because my dad got uh, my dad had me got married at a young age, had me when he was at Stanford, still in college. And then, you know how it is once you go to the minor leagues, him and mom are mm-hmm. kind of going here and going there. I spent a lot of time with my grandpa as a young, right. young man. And I remember kind of vividly waking grandpa up at, you know, when I'm two years old at, at six in the morning with the catcher's gear on said, Gramps, let's go play ball. And it's just something I, I was just from, from jump street, that's all I ever wanted to do was play right. baseball. And and dad never pressured me one bit. He encouraged me to play. I played, right. you know, I played football as a kid. I played hoops. Uh, once I got deep into high school, I realized, you know, baseball, you know, and, and still was at that point. It was always my passion. Right. But I realized okay. baseball was my ticket at that point, And I concentrated on that probably from my junior year, 17 years old on. And, you know, then I went on to my career. But 
I, I had such a cool childhood boogie. I mean, I had a dad. I got to go to the ballpark and, mm-hmm. and hang out. You mm-hmm. know, as a kid, I'm hanging out with Pete Rose and Steve Carlton and, and, and Greg Lazinski and Mike Schmidt. And that was just normal for me. And I'm looking right, at them going, right. one day I'm going to be you. Then dad gets traded to the Angels. I'm hanging out with Rod Carew and Reggie Jackson. But that wasn't a big right. deal because that's what I'm going to do. And I'll see you in a couple of years when I get drafted right. and come play. But it was never put on me. It was never. Right. It, it, and I hear my dad talk about it to, to this day. And he said, you know, I was hoping Brett liked the game and, and kind of mm-hmm. followed in my footsteps. But I was going to support him in anything he did. And, and that's what my childhood was like. But you're right. And, and I tell kids this, too, you know, all the time is if you don't have that deep burning passion, you're going to get run over because there's too many right. people out there that have it. So. So, uh, yeah, this is this is all interesting stuff. Very cool. I just yeah. think that you have to allow the kid to feel what he wants to feel from the sports. And and it was great for me because. I couldn't outrun my daddy till I got to be 16 years old and I couldn't beat my father and nothing. So he was like my barometer, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And him and my brother and the kids in the neighborhood, he used to get off work in his work boots and beat us in basketball and everything. <laughs> so, so he would send us home crying and my mother would like to get mad at him. He was like, well, no, they got to be tough, you know? So he never saw me play baseball until I got to Dodger Stadium. Because he worked and and it was my mom who was the team mother and drove me all around and all of the different places. So it was kind of bittersweet for my dad to finally see me at the at the height, but he saw me at, at, at the Dodger Stadium. But all of my high school career, he never said he seen me play one game of basketball, and he was like, "I didn't really know you could play like that." Because he worked. And but but all the way through my childhood, he was there prior to me going and playing professionally and, and the, 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 all of those things. So I was once I felt like I was able to beat him or compete with my dad. Kids my age had no chance. That's that is awesome. That that's that's fun stuff right there. Uh, all right, so we're gonna jump forward. Your senior year, you get drafted in the eighth round, nineteen eighty, Cincinnati Reds go off to the minor leagues and you make your debut in 94, 20 year, 21 years old. And I know nowadays, you know, especially in the last few years, it's we've got a lot of young talented players out there, but 21, uh, when you broke in that, that wasn't common. You know, usually it was 23, 24. We get to the big leagues, the guys that are going to make right. a career out of this, but you got there as 21. Uh, what was that like for you? All of a sudden, 21 years old, you're the big leagues. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Actually, people might take this wrong and stuff, but it was a relief for me. And I'm going to lead you into that because the 83, I played half a season double and a half a season tripling. I was in Waterbury, Connecticut, and then was up in Indianapolis, in, in, uh, Indianapolis, Indiana. 
so I combined for like 23 homers and 70 steals between double A and triple A, right? And so everybody, Skeeter Barnes and Dallas Williams and the, all of the veterans that was older than me was having phenomenal years. They was already in triple A hitting 300 and stuff. And everybody went into the office, got called to Cincinnati. And so it was like seven guys got called to the office and my manager called me in the office and he told me, he said he wanted, he said the Reds wanted me to go to instruction league and work on bunting. It's a true story. Because <laughs> I led off all, to all the way through high school, little league, because I could run and steal bases. Everybody led me off. So they said they wanted me to go to instruction league and work on bunting. And so you're talking about a mixed emotion and a roller coaster ride because I felt like yeah, this was my time. It wasn't that I went up and played in 83. Really wasn't important. It was to get my feet wet because I felt like I had earned it because I was the number one prospect in the organization and all the above. So I go to instruction league and for two weeks I bunted every ball. I didn't swing at a pitch. I don't care what the situation was. Three, two bases loaded. I was bunting. So the farm director, Jim Hoffman, got mad at me and was like, no, AD, we want you to play. I said, no. They told me they wanted me to work on bunting, so I'm bunting. Mind you, it, it was a prize for winning the structure league. You know, that was a big thing if y'all won it. And so we wasn't winning because I was bunting, so they ended up sending me home after two weeks because I bunted <laughs> every ball. So going from that to then going to uh, – Coming the next year to, in spring training, I get pulled off the bus on the way to the airport. Uh, so, because I think I hit like seven homers in spring training, and everybody's telling me, Bernie, so, you know, because see, Bernie had the machine gun. I don't know if he did it on you guys, but back then he had a, a, a toy machine gun. So, when they was going to send you down, Bernie had to come get you. So, Bernie had a toy, toy, toy machine gun. So, when he looked at you, he'd go, Brrr. And, and then that meant you had to go see the message because you was going to get cut. So Bernie would come around the back in Tampa and he looked at me like, no, you ain't going. And, and I'd be like, oh, my God. Huh. Wow. So now we get to the the bus. I'm in my suit and the whole nine y'all getting ready to go north. And they come get me off the bus. Said that they couldn't send a guy down, so I had to go down. So I had a lot of mixed emotions about when I should have got there. So then when I finally get there, and now all this that happened when I finally get there, Bernie don't know I'm coming. So my first at bat, I had no name or number on my jersey. Off of Joaquin Andrew, I hit a ground ball in the hole. The Ozzy backhanded threw me out, and all I heard was, welcome to the big leagues, kid. <laughs> I was like, this wow. league is tough because that's the base hit in AAA. You know what I'm saying? That's so, right. Those shortstops, they're, they're a step quicker up here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so – I was I was excited, but I didn't call my mom because I thought something was going to happen until I got there and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Because once you've had something been scratched from you or you feel disappointment in something, you kind of become apprehensive about certain things and stuff. So when Gene Dusan called me that night, I couldn't sleep, but I didn't call nobody because I was like, I ain't going to tell nobody in case they didn't change their mind. So I was glad when I got there, um, but I just wanted to make sure that it was real. But that experience in my era, and you know from being a part of that as a kid, seeing these, uh, and, and, and to see your dad and Smitty and Mazinski and, and Steve Carlton opening day, and I'm sitting there saying, why well, hitting a home run on Steve Carlton opening day 
was phenomenal. And, and, and just to see all the guys that you watched, I quickly had to transcend that into being a fan to now be like, okay, I got to show these guys I belong here. I ain't going to be here. So I kind of quickly had to not watch and admire and clap for him sometimes. I'm like, no, nah, Sam, I can't clap. I can't root for him. I'm on another day. So it was so many emotions going on until I finally caught my stride and then they started asking me for autographs and different things of that nature. So cause that's when I knew I belonged. And uh, 86, you kind of, you know, I look at that, I, I look at you your career in 86 is the year you kind of arrive. You hit 27 homers drive in 71. But the thing that leaps out to me is the 80 stolen bases. And for, for those of you out there listening to the Boone podcast, there's a lot made of the 30, 30 club and 2020 club. And, and when I was growing up, I thought, you know, I was never a base dealer. So I kind of dismissed it as a, what's the big deal. And as I played more and, and, and got more experience and was more of a veteran player, I had a few years where I snuck up there, Boogie, and I, and I stole 16 right. or 17. Right. Right. And I had some big years in Seattle, and I was driving in 141. Mm-hmm. I hit 37 homers, and I stole 17 bases. And I'm telling you, I felt like I stole 100 bases. Because when yes. you're running around and you're yes. hitting homers, Yes. It's tiring to steal bases. Yes. So yes. Yes. I had a newfound respect for the guys that go 20, 20, 30, 30. And then yes. I'm looking at your numbers. You're going 27, 80. Yes. And that just doesn't happen. You know, the next year in 87, you hit 37 homers. You drive in 100, you steal 50. Yes. Pretty much from 87 to 89, you're one of the best players in the game. People are comparing you to Willie Mays. Uh, yeah. Tell me about that, the, the stolen bases and the power combo and how special that is. Well, I never really looked at it as special. I always looked at it as playing the game. And whatever tool you had to play the game to win, you utilized it. And, and I knew that the stealing bases was a tool of mine since I was a kid. I didn't slide until I got the pro ball. The only time I slid was when I hit the ball. The, all of my stolen bases, it, it was funny because I would just run and then stop. But I started playing uh, Larry Barton because he used to have a winner team, and that's when all of the Reds, like Joe Price and Mike Lacoste and Frank Pastore, all the California guys, uh, played there. So I started playing with the Reds, winter league team, Okay, at 15 years old, and I could only use wood bat. They wouldn't let me use aluminum. I was a shortstop. And, and so I started, we would play USC, UCLA, uh, Pepperdine. We would play all the top colleges in Orange Coast, uh, 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 Cal State Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton, JC. We was play, I would get in almost 300 at bats because you played up every weekend. And Larry really made me start to slide because he would pinch run for me and he would pinch run me. So I would slow down to slide. Once they start making me slide foot first, I would slow down and I would get thrown out. And I can remember playing at Loyola Marymount and I made all three outs at second base. Great jumps and I could run, but I didn't know 
which leg, you know how you never know which leg to slide on or how to slide and try to pop up and I was sliding too soon and not get to the bag and stuff. I was just real green with doing that from stealing bases. Now, when I got a hit to, to steal a double, I would just pop up right into the bag. So I started learning how to do that. So that was always part of what I did. Um, but then when I got to the big leagues, they tried to turn me into a choppy, hit the ball on the ground type of guy and run because I was stealing so many bases and I was so fast. Uh, Vern Rapp was my manager. And the best thing for me, and I talk about this even in our organization, that sometimes we have to get out of the way and allow the kid to flourish. Because Pete Rose, when he came over as a player manager, I was leading off one day and I popped the butt up to the pitcher. And as soon as I came to the dugout, he said, what was that? I said, well, Hank skipped third base and was back. He said, let me tell you something. So when you can hit that ball up in the red seats, I know you can steal bases, but when you can get me a run that quick, I don't ever want you to bunt again. He said, from now on, every time you bunt, it's $100. Now, mind you, the minimum was $32,000. So I ain't have $100 to get nobody. It wasn't no millions and all this. So then two days later, he moved me to fifth. And that's when you started to see the power and the speeds. And, and I stole 63 bases in 86 after the All-Star break. Because Nick Asaski was there, Gary Reedus, Eddie Milner, Dave Parker, Cesar Daniel. So we was, everybody was fighting for playing time until Pete said, you know what, you finna take off. And he gave me that chance. Uh, uh, Vern Rapp, when I first came to the big leagues, they didn't really allow me to do my thing. So, uh, once I vowed that once I got able to do my thing, I had to show everything I had. So, stealing bases, defense, all of that was important to me. And you were the inventor, and, and you don't know, I don't even know if I've ever told you this story, but you were the first one to wear those high tops, and that you had yes. high tops before there was high top. You and Bill Buck. Yes. Yes. And I, and I got to a ball. I signed out of USC and I remember talking to the Nike people and going, Hey, I need those Eric, Eric Davis shoes. And they're like, well, <laughs> you know, those are, those are special made a ball yeah. player. And I said, well, special make Boone some. Right. <laughs> and they said, all right. And they made them for me. You no, know, I whipped them out. It was like, they, they charged me like 250, 300, but, but it didn't matter right. at the time. I had to have those. And I remember I was in A ball in the Carolina League walking around with these high tops and no other minor leaguers had them. Right. I thought, I thought I was it, man. I said, Hey, here it is. Oh, come to find out. Then high tops became available. Nike started right. making the mask. Right. But uh, that's how I started. Cause but I was you know, Marge uh, called me into the office behind them because everything was good. We couldn't wear. Uh, the red shoes until 87. <laughs> we had to wear, when I first came to Big Leagues, we wore all black. And you remember when you saw the big red machine, they had all black. You couldn't have a white stripe or nothing on. So we couldn't get shoes. When I'm in the minor leagues, we have to buy our own shoes. Even when I got to the Big Leagues, we have to buy our own shoes because nobody could see the, the logo. So when I get the high tops, the, I had some bone chips in my ankle from the turf. And, and uh, Larry Starr, who was our trainer, because uh, I should get my ankles taped and all that kind of stuff. And he was like, you know what, man? Did you wear uh, low tops when you played the basketball? Did you ever 
twist your ankles? I said, no, I always wore high tops. She said, well, what do you think about wearing high tops? And I was like, man, I never thought about it. So that's where the idea came from. And then Mars shot when I got him, she thought I was trying to make a cultural statement or something, <laughs> but I needed some. And Larry Starr had to come up to her office to explain why I was wearing the high tops. She was, because you know how Mars was, she wanted to know everything about anything and she didn't want nobody to be different from what the rules and regulation was that, at that time. So she was real scarce of anything that I did, anything. Right, right. and you and you talk about Marge and, and uh, wow, I just remember when I came to the Reds, I came to the Reds in 94 from the Mariners. And, and I remember, you know, you get your bats in spring training. When you need another bat order, you, you put an order. And I remember Bernie Stowe going, Booney over here, Marge likes to uh, turn in your crack bats when you get another dozen. Yeah. I'm kind of going, wait a minute. Oh, I it was crack. crazy. I gave that crack back to that kid in the stands. What, do you want me to go get it back just so I can get some wood for tomorrow? <laughs> but that, that was a but whole... You have to turn in your hat if you was going to get a new hat, you had to turn in your old hat. I, I mean, she had so much... It was one time we couldn't throw the balls into the stands and batting practice. It was just always something with Marge. It was always something. Always something. Oh, it was, <laughs> that could be a whole other hour. whole other hour there. Yeah. Yeah. 2400 Sports is an Odyssey company. 